All right, so first of all, it is an honor to be back. I'm excited to be back. Um, and knowing who all y'all have in here this summer that, that I get to come back twice, um, I get to be part of a pretty cool group. So that is an honor. But let's address what he just said, right? <laughs> um, yes, I did break the window. That was true. Um, what was also true is that he had a friend over that day, and uh, I was outside. We had a basketball court in the driveway, and you had to come in through the garage when you came back into the house. They had intentionally locked every door in the house and then came and locked that door so that they could sit there and, and mock me through the glass um, as I was trying to get into um, the door. And my dad, um, me and David were talking about this between services. He has a little different memory than I have. Um, but I don't remember getting in trouble for that because I remember my dad saying, I, I know, I'm sure he caused this. Um, like it, my dad understood who David was and what, what he did. Um, I do remember him telling me, you don't have to pay for the window. We'll make David and his friend pay for that. I don't think he ever actually had to pay for it, but I didn't have to pay for it because dad understood what had happened. Um, my, my favorite story about David, like we did, uh, we got along, we were together a lot. We went to elementary school, middle school, high school, and then went to the same college. So we were together a lot. We actually roomed together in college. So it is really cool to be able to stand up here as a uh, late 40s, gosh, I'm in my late 40s, um, and say that, that my brother is one of my best friends, and he is. But we had a contentious relationship at times. I'm sure y'all can imagine which side of the relationship gave most of that contention growing up. Uh, but my, my favorite story about us um, not getting along was I got my license before him. We lived a, a block and a half from our church, but we still drove to church. Um, and one day it was raining when we got out of church. And so I went to get the car and um, I'm going around, there's a carport where everybody would pull in where you could get in without getting wet. And he was waiting there. And so I see this big long line of cars. I'm like, well, I'm not gonna wait in this long line. Like he can walk through a couple feet of, of rain, right? So I pull up beside the carport and I didn't realize that he saw me and was coming towards me. So I was trying to pull ahead to get his attention. And I guess he thought I was trying to leave him, um, which is so out of my character. Like I would never do that. So he gets in the car just heated, right? And doesn't hit me, but kind of puts his hand on my face and like smack hit kind of thing. And I'm, I'm driving, like the car is actually moving at this point. I, there's nothing I can do. So I was like, all right. We drive the block and a half home, we pull in the driveway, I go in, go to my room. And I, I, I had a little bit of a temper when I was younger, and, and my dad would always be like, just, just relax, take a minute, breathe, and it, it'll go away. That did not work on this day. So I went in, I put my Bible down, and at this point, it is like just built up, right? And so I go into his room and just full on Bobby Boucher, tackle him <laughs> onto his bed, and just we're going at it. And I think my dad actually had to pull me off of him. And I, I remember I got in trouble, not for tackling him, not for uh, being physically abusive to him. But he said, what are you doing on the waterbed? Like he, David had just gotten a waterbed. He was like, do you know how expensive that is? What are you doing? What are you thinking? Like, I, dad, I wasn't. He hit me in the face while I was driving. I just, so we, we had that kind of relationship. Um, I think David was an instigator, um, probably still is an instigator in some ways. Um, and you know, when I was a, his older, more mature brother and trying to get him to do the right thing all the time, that instigation was, was aggravating. 
Um, and, and it was always like David was one of those personalities. He was, he was intelligent. He um, got along with people. He could read people. And so we knew he was going to do something significant. We just prayed that it was going to be something um, good. But I think God has redeemed that instigation, right? He's still an instigator. Like we're all here in this building this morning because God used David and Kelly and their family to instigate what God is building in Relentless Church. Uh, David's still the same person. It's just a redeemed version of all those things that drove me crazy when we were kids. I think God does that in all of us, right? We've got these things that God made us this way, and, and it, it can either be used for bad or for good. Parents, if you've got kids that are just absolutely driving you crazy, you're scared to death of what their future is going to be, just pray. God can redeem that. I promise. If you've got things in your life that you're like, I wish I wasn't this way, don't say that. Say, God, redeem this in me because God can use all of that stuff, the way that he made us, that can be redeemed and it can be awesome. And it's so cool to see how uh, those things that um, David used for mischief in his early years, God is now using for kingdom things and, and kingdom growth. It, it is awesome to see. I think... Um, there's two things that, that led to that, right? That, that made, that have kept David on that path. God was continuing to refine him. And, and that is prayer and God's word. And I put those two things together because I think that we uh, can't really separate them. If we're serious about God's word, then we're going to be serious about prayer. If we're serious about prayer, we're going to be serious about God's word. And so I, I've been able to walk with David as his brother and his, as his friend um, through a lot of different things. And I have seen his commitment to prayer and God's word. And when things have gotten difficult in his life, prayer and God's word. And when things have been good, prayer and God's word have kept him grounded. And I think that's what has allowed God to, to work in his life and his family's life and, and through those lives um, of you all who are connected to him, is, is our connection to, to prayer and God's word. Um, I started working on this, this message months ago. And I was hoping that, that we would, I would be sharing this in a, a time where the news cycle was not focused on anything negative. Uh, but I knew that the chances were, were good that there was going to be some things in the news, right? We've had children getting shot at school, and we've had uh, a Fourth of July parade get shot up, and there's all these other things that are, are going on. And it's heartbreaking for me. Uh, if, if you go on your social media, whatever social media you use, and and look up the hashtag thoughts and prayers are not enough. It's heartbreaking to, to see. And, and I agree with them in, in many ways, but it's heartbreaking to the, the idea that, that thoughts and prayers are not seen as valuable and powerful and impactful. And um, let, me, let me back up. I skipped a story. Sorry. Um, I think that everybody in here falls in two categories. Actually, everybody in the, in the world uh, believes one of the two statements I'm getting ready to share with you. Um, one is from Jay-Z, and one is from Psalms. And I think we don't necessarily openly admit um, which one that, that we identify with, but our actions tell the story. In Psalm 20, verse 7, King David says this, Some trust in horses and chariots, but I trust in the name of the Lord. You have to understand that um, in David's day, in King David's day, horses and chariots were what determined battles. 
the more horses, the more chariots, the faster horses, the better. That is what determined who won battles and who won battles determined what lines were drawn and how the world looked. And so David is saying, you can trust in horses and chariots. You can trust of the most important things in this world. I am choosing to trust in the name of the Lord. We can choose to trust the things of the world today, that the world says you got to have this or you got to have that. Or we can choose to trust in the name of the Lord. And it's difficult to choose the name of the Lord all the time because those horses and chariots look like they're mighty important a lot. And Jay-Z in one of his songs um, says that Jesus can't save you, life starts when church ends. And I, I don't think most, especially good Southern Christian people would say that they agree with that. But I think a lot of us agree with that. Because we go to church, and we do what we got to do, but when, when the rubber hits the road, when it's time, like, like I need something to happen right now, we don't go to Jesus. We say, all right, Jesus, give me the reins. Let me take control. I'm going to get myself out of this situation. I can count on me. And we kind of separate our trust in Jesus from regular life. Like that Jesus is good over here as long as things don't get too crazy. But when, when things get crazy, I'm, I'm not trusting Jesus. I'm trusting myself. I'm trusting horses and chariots. I think that is part of the reason why people are saying thoughts and prayers are not enough. In James chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, James says this to the Christians he's writing to. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of them, if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? And, and this is exactly why people are posting thoughts and prayers are not enough because this is what they feel. They feel like, hey, we're hurting, we're struggling, we're dealing with stuff, and all you're saying is, I'll pray for you. And because what they, are, what they feel from Christians is that we are saying that we will pray so that we cannot feel guilty. I don't want to do anything. I just don't want to feel guilty. So I'm going to pray for you, and then God can do something if he wants to. That's not what, what biblical prayer is about. That's not who God has made us to be. We, we can fall into this thing where we pray and God acts, but the reality is when we pray, it is so that we can act in line with God. Prayer should lead us to action, not away from it. So I, I want to talk about these, these two ideas, thoughts and prayers, and why I, I just, I, I hope that we can see them redeemed in the world. First of all, thoughts. There are tons and tons of people in this world today who feel unseen, who feel like nobody knows them, that nobody sees what they're dealing with, nobody cares about what they're dealing with. So for us to, to think about people is significant. It's holy to see them, to understand them, to hear them, listen, to hear them, not preach to them, but to hear them is a tremendously significant way that we can introduce people to Jesus. So us thinking about things is not insignificant. Our thoughts are not insignificant. This world is full of problems. The more we are aware of those problems, the more God can use us to make a difference. We have to be aware, though, 
of those problems. And so th- that is holy to just think about and recognize the problems of the world. And so then that leads us to doing something. And, and what James, is, the Christians that he was writing to, what they were struggling with, they saw the problems, but they weren't doing anything. And so the next thing that we have to do when we see those problems is we have to act, and prayer is active. It is not passive. It feels like it sometimes, but prayer is active. What happens is if we reject that Psalm 20, verse 7 idea, that I'm going to choose the word of God, the name of God over horses and chariots. If, if we choose the horses and chariots and we try to fix the problems of the world based on what we can do and what we can see and what we know and understand, then we just make a wreck out of our life and everything around us. We, we solve problems through our own ability, which creates more problems than it solves. And so we've got to learn to go to God in prayer and let him direct us and the resources that he's given us so that we can actually solve problems. When, when we are invested in solving problems that we see in the world that God cares about, when we, when we want to fix the things that breaks the heart of God, and we go to the, uh, God in prayer and ask for him to use us in that way, God will direct our life, our finances, our time, our energy, so that we can be a part of solutions But to do that, prayer is essential. Martin Luther, uh, the German theologian, said that uh, it is no more possible to be a Christian without prayer than to be alive without breathing. I hope that we can embrace that. I look forward to seeing what God can do through us as we embrace that idea. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 11 today. It's a story about um, a guy who needs food late at night and he goes to his his neighbor. Um, I don't know if any of y'all can identify with this, but when I was in college, I was hungry all the time. Uh, I was just constantly trying to figure out how can I get some food. And one night, we, um, me and my brother went to the, the same college, very small, conservative Christian college. We had a strict 11 o'clock curfew during the, the week. And so we're in the dorm, and uh, you could get pizza delivered, but I, it was like past the time where they would deliver um, it's past curfew. Me and my buddy are, are starving. And we were on the phone. And young people here, like when I say we were on the phone, like we were actually on a phone that had a, a cord like plugged into the wall, talking to some girls on the other side of campus who had gotten a care package that day. And they were going through like all this stuff, all this food that they had gotten in the mail. If you don't know what a care package is, uh, their grandma or their mom sent them a ton of junk food. And we're starving, and they're talking about, and I'm literally saying, like, we have so much food, we don't know what to do with it. And me and my buddy Matt were like, I think we can help you with that. Um, if, we will, if we can get over to your dorm, will you drop some food out the window to us? And they're like, yes. All right. So we, we go to take off. Really, the only way that we were going to get caught um, was coming back into the dorm. So we just told another buddy, hey, we'll, we'll bring some food back to you if you let us back in when we get here. All right. So we take off. It's, there's a small campus. There's one road that like circles the campus. We don't even have to walk on a road. We just got to like cut through a a field with trees on it and no lights. No way we're getting caught. Plus, the whole campus has one security guard. So, you know, and he's in a car. We're We're in a field. And the whole town that we were in had one cop. So it's like there's, we're not gonna get caught, right? So we're walking, we're going across like tree to tree, you know? 
And all of a sudden we see the, the campus security with his lights on. It's never happened. Like driving through the campus. Well, that's weird. And then we see the town cop, lights on, driving through campus. Well, that's weird. And then we see two state troopers, lights on, driving through campus. And so now we're like, we're, we're in the middle of the campus, right? There's nothing around us. We're like, crap, they're looking for somebody. We're not the ones they're looking for, but they don't know that. So we started to get a little bit worried. So we got the girl's attention from the window and said, hey, meet us at the back door. And we're like, hey, um, they're looking for somebody and we don't want to get caught. Can we just come up to your room? Completely against the rules. Um, and they were like, yeah, sure. Everybody in our dorm's asleep. So we go up there and I, I promise you, my brother does not believe this, but I promise you, we just went up there. We ate snacks, we drank Pepsi, and played cards. But we weren't trying, we weren't in a hurry to get back to our room because we, we wanted to make sure that this situation was over before we walked back across campus. And so at 2 a.m., I'm sitting by the window, lights are on in the room, and uh, like a rock hits the window. I make fun of David sometimes, but I can be kind of slow, and this is an example of that. Because I looked outside and I saw my friend Charles. And I said, stuck my head out the window and said, hey, Charles, what are you doing? What should have gone through my mind was, Charles is an RA, and you're in his girlfriend's room. And so I stuck my head out the window and said, hey, Charles. He's like, what are you doing? What's going on? And I immediately realized, oh, man, I've, I've made a big mistake. We got in a lot of trouble that night. Uh, Charles had been out. What had happened is somebody in Charles's dorm had um, gotten mad at their RA and threatened to do harm to the campus and then jumped out a second story window and ran away. And so they had called the cops and the cops called the state troopers and there was like this, they were out looking for this kid for three hours in the cold and rain. And cold and rainy and wet, Charles sees the light on in his girlfriend's room and figures he'll say, hey, and I stick my head out the window. So it didn't work out well. But you know what? If you had told us you're probably going to get caught sneaking over to this room, there's a really good chance that night that we were going to go anyway because we were starving. We were hungry. And nobody in the boys' dorm had any food that we wanted to eat. And so we were going to go because we were hungry. I think when it comes to our prayer life, we have to think about where does the hunger of our life drive us? Where do we go when we get hungry for things in life, when we have needs, when we have felt needs? Where does that drive us in our life? Where does the hunger of our life drive us? And that's what Luke chapter 11 is all about. Um, the, the disciples come to Jesus at the beginning of the chapter and they say, hey, will you teach us to pray? And he teaches them the disciples' prayer that we've all heard and heard recited before football games. But then he tells them this story um, in Luke chapter 11 that, that is supposed to connect to prayer. So in Luke chapter 11, we're going to be in verses 5 through 10. Um, it says, Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. Now, they would have understood this in their context. What was going on there? Um, in lots of places in the world, in the ancient world, they would uh, travel at night to get away from the heat, but that was not the situation in this, in this area. Um, this was somebody who was surprised by a guest. 
But there was this social expectation that you feed your guest. And not like, hey, I've got half a bag of Lucky Charms in the cabinet. You can have some of that. Like you were expected to give them a fresh, whole loaf of bread. And so this guy, somebody shows up, and he doesn't have any bread to give him. And so there's this, a social custom that would have been, it would look bad on the house to not give him food, but it would also have looked bad on the town to not give them food. So he goes to his neighbor and says, hey, we need, some, we need some bread. I've got a guest and I don't have any. And his friend reacts like we do when we're tired and our kids or somebody bothers us in bed, right? Like, I know I'm gonna have to get up, but I don't want to. And all these things, all these reasons why we shouldn't have to get up go through our mind. And he, he says to them, um, don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. But then it, it says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now, I, when I was younger, I heard this and I thought, well, does that mean that, that God doesn't really like me, but if I just wear him out, that God will give me what I want? If I just bug the crap out of God, he'll finally give in and say, all right, I'll give you what you want so you'll shut up. And that's not what this is saying at all. I don't want anybody there to, to think about that, that in this, those terms. Because what's going on? Think about this. Why did the guy in the story go to Joe's house to get bread? We'll pretend his name was Joe. I don't know. Why did he go to Joe's house? Has anybody ever been around people who bake bread? There's a distinct aroma to bread, right? My mom used to, to make bread and you could always tell when you walked in the house. You could tell right, she made bread today. So in this, in this little village, during the daytime, they, they would have smelled bread being baked at Joe's house. They would have seen the smoke. They would have known, hey, Joe's baking bread today. And so that night when he needs bread, what does he do? Oh, Joe baked bread today. I'm going to Joe's house. And the reason when he's talking about shameless audacity, that, that's because he knows that Joe has what he needs, and so he's not going to go somewhere else to get something that he knows Joe has. And the same is true for us in prayer. Why go to horses and chariots when God has what we need? When God has everything that we need, why go anywhere else? And so Jesus is saying, this is what will direct your prayer life. If you believe that I have what you need, then you will come to me in prayer for that. You will come. And even when the answer doesn't come on the first day or the second day or the 200th day or the thousandth day, you will keep coming to God and, and asking him to guide you because you believe that he has the bread that you need. So prayer is, is worship. Psalm um, 141.2 says that prayer is like incense. It's, may my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. Um, this is saying that prayer is worship, that it goes up before God like the smoke of incense goes up uh, into heaven. The reason that prayer is worship is because in prayer, we are saying, God, we believe that you have what I need. We believe that I am not enough, but you are enough. We believe that I have needs that cannot be met by anybody but you, God. And so it is an acknowledgement of God's greatness and God's position in the universe that nobody else can occupy. 
And so when we pray, we are worshiping God. I, I love the songs that the uh, worship team that sang this morning. Thank you all um, for doing that. It, it is awesome. Song brings us before God um, in, in special and unique ways. But if we only worship like that for a couple minutes on Sunday morning and we're not worshiping by turning to God when we are hungry, that worship is not going to be received real well by God. We have to turn to God to help us with the problems of this world and the problems of our life. Prayer is, is also faith. It is actual steps of faith. It, it feels passive often, but it is actual steps of faith because we are choosing, God, I'm not going to run to horses and chariots. I'm not going to run to the things of this world to get my comfort. I'm going to run to you in prayer. It, it is a statement of, of putting our trust in God, that he is the one that will take care of us. Eugene Peterson um, who wrote the, the message version of the Bible, says this about prayer. He says, human beings are in trouble most of the time. Uh, the ones who don't know that they are in trouble are in the most trouble. And prayer is the language of those who know they are in trouble and believe that God has the answer to them. When we deal with trouble, when the, the problems of this world get to us? Where do we run? Do we run to the things of this world to give us comfort? Or do we, do we run to God in prayer to get the answers so that we can be solutions for the problems of this world? I think that, um, that, God, that, that what prayer does really is it aligns us with the will of God. Because we're going to act, right? When, when we have problems, when we are, are afraid, when we're upset, when we're angry, right? We're going we're gonna to act. That's why I've knocked out the window um, when David locked me out of the house, right? Our emotions lead us to actions. There, there's no doubt about that. The question is, will those actions be in line with who God wants us to be and what God wants us to do? And prayer is essential for aligning our actions with the will of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who is um, one of my like, heroes of the faith, a German theologian who was active during World War II, um, talks a lot about prayer. And he says two things about prayer. One, that um, um, vanity and prayer are opposite ends of the spectrum. It is so easy for us to see problems in the world and with good intentions want to fix them, want to solve them. But when we try to solve them with the world's horses and chariots, we're going to cause more problems. And we can, we can get very arrogant and say that we have answers. And if, if people would just listen to me, then daggone it, there wouldn't be these problems. But the reality is they don't need to listen to us. They need to listen to Jesus. And one of the ways that we consistently keep ourselves humble is that we go to God in prayer. Because remember, that's what this situation is. The reason this guy has to go to his neighbor is because he doesn't have bread. 
The reason we go to God in prayer is because we don't have answers. We don't have power. We don't have the ability to do what God wants us to. And so when we go to God in prayer, it keeps us from being arrogant because we're reminded that the only reason I can, the only reason I have is because God continues to bless he also, Dietrich Bonhoeffer also says that it is scripture that should drive um, us to prayer, not the condition of our heart. Good grief, so many times, if I listened to my heart, I would do the exact opposite of what Jesus wants. I can't trust my heart all the time, especially when I'm emotional. And so if we trust our heart, if we trust our emotions outside of connection to God, we're going to get in trouble. But scripture says that God is trustworthy. And so if we will listen to that and go to God in prayer when we are stressed, when we're angry, when we're afraid, God will direct our steps. You know, if, if we are people who, who see the problems of the world around us and care about that, and, and when I say problems of the world, that can be stuff that makes it onto the news. And, and that could also be that your neighbor is having a bad day. When we, when we actually see what people are dealing with and we, we want to be used, and then we take that desire to be used to God in prayer, God will direct our actions. It'll direct our actions in a way that impacts us personally, that impacts our community, those who do life with us. It'll impact our society and it'll impact the world. I'm not saying it'll, that everybody will see that. I'm saying that there'll be impact. God will use us to make a difference. The problem is that I think we give too much weight to some of the problems we see in the world. And I'm not saying that they're insignificant, right? There's, there's a ton of emotion. If, if you follow politics at all, everybody's talking about gun control and all that kind of stuff right now. That's one problem in the world. There's sex trafficking and there's, there's a, um, a worldwide hunger um, that we're dealing with right now. There's all kinds of, there's no shortage of problems. All of those problems flow from one thing. That's death. See, the devil is trying to convince us that death is a prize. He's wrapping it up in a pretty bow and lying about it and hoping that we'll believe those lies. But here's the thing. All those horses and chariots that the world says you need, that this is what you can count on. If you're struggling with this, then you need this, and this will get you out, that you need to do more of this. All those horses and chariots that the, the devil is trying to sell us are gonna die. And we're gonna stand before Jesus at the end of time, and those horses and chariots are not gonna be there to help us. All the things of the world are not gonna be there to help us. It's gonna be us and Jesus. Those horses and chariots can't help us with death. Only Jesus can say that he has overcome death. Only Jesus can say, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Only Jesus can say that you, can, you may have struggles, but in me you will have life forever. Only Jesus can say. He's the only place we can go to get that answer. And so we have to choose, are we going to choose the comfort of horses and chariots in this world? Or are we going to choose life? Because I'll be honest with you, following Jesus may not make life easier. 
Following Jesus may not make life more comfortable. You may not have as much money as you would have if you, don't, if you follow Jesus. It may cost you friends and relationships. If you just want your best life now, Jesus probably is not the answer for you. But if you want life, like real life, that cannot ever be taken from you and that, that, that you will have for eternity, Jesus is the only place, the only place that you can get that. I, um, I like to fish. Um, my brother says that I don't actually like to fish. I like to boat because I don't actually catch fish a lot. Um, so I, I'm new to teaching. Um, I've been just doing that for a couple years. So my first summer, I was like, you know what? I've never had a summer off in my life. I'm going to go fishing. And so somebody told me about this pond that's down the road from my house. It's like a little park, and they've got a pond there. And they're like, yeah, I'm pretty sure you can catch fish there. So I said, all right, I'm going to get up, and I'm going to go fish in the morning, and then I'm going to read my Bible at the little uh, pavilion there. It's going to be great. I'll still be home before anybody else in my house is awake. Um, so I would go fishing. Not every morning, but several times a week, I would go fishing. I didn't catch anything. And one day, after, literally after weeks of being there, I'm fishing, and this guy um, walks up. And he's like, hey, how you doing? I'm like, good. He's like, catch anything? I said, no. He's like, yeah, I've never caught anything here. So I come here just to try out different lures and stuff, but I've, I've never caught anything here. I, I've actually never seen anybody catching here. I've never heard of anybody catching anything here. There's a sign at the park, like by the lake, it says, don't take fish out of the lake that are uh, below this size. You can only take this many fish out of the pond on any given one day. Like, if you're going to put that sign up there, there should be fish, right? But as I talk to people, there's no, I've been fishing in a lake with no fish. I think spiritually we do the same thing. When we buy into the world's lie that we need horses and chariots, we're, we're fishing in ponds with no answers. We're knocking on doors that are never going to be answered. When we're knocking on doors that aren't Jesus, we're knocking on doors that have no answers. We will not get life by knocking on the door of death, ever. Jesus is the only place that we can go to get life. And we go to him in prayer because we are acknowledging that nobody else has what he has. In John chapter 6, um, Jesus has just said some harsh things, which he did often. And he actually drove away all of his followers, except for the 12. Like everybody said, that's too much, Jesus, and they went home. And so Jesus is left just talking to the 12 disciples. And he says to them, aren't y'all going to leave too? And, and this was Peter's answer. And in verse 68, he says to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where else are we going to go, Jesus? You have the bread that we need. We're not going to go knock on other doors. They don't have what you have. If we believe that, then we go to God in prayer consistently. If we believe that God is the answer for life, we go to God in prayer consistently without fail over and over and over again. And we go when it's difficult. We go to God in prayer when we already think we know the answer, we just want God to affirm it, right? Y'all do that too or is that just me? 
We go to God in prayer and we give him the chance to change our mind. We go to God in prayer when we don't get answers that we want right away. We go to God in, in prayer when things are not, things are going in a direction that we don't want them to go and we think they shouldn't go. We go to God in prayer when that, that path comes to an end and it didn't end the way that we wanted it to. We go to God in prayer because he has the bread of life. He has life. God is a God of solutions. I, I truly believe this. And I hope what you hear me saying today is not just we need to pray because God will be pleased with us. I hope you understand that what I'm saying is that, that God wants to give you power to change the world. God wants to give you power to impact the places where you live. And prayer is absolutely essential for us to do that in a redeemed way. As we pray, God empowers. God gives us the ability to make a difference in the world that we live in. Twelve men followed Jesus, his whole ministry. And we're still talking about them today. There's more than 12 of us in here. If we pray to the God of answers, I think he will, he will make a difference. I'm going to leave with, uh, with two things. Um, one is a, a story about uh, a friend of mine when we were, uh, when I was a preacher, we got together every week or so to talk about what we were doing. And one, one week the preacher told a story, or my friend told a story about someone in their church whose kids had gone missing during the week. They were at a friend's house, their kids, they couldn't find their kids for several hours. And what ended up happening was the kids just thought it would be funny to hide from the adults. But they didn't know what was going on. And for several hours, uh, the parents had no idea where their seven and eight-year-old kids were. And one of the moms said to my friend, whoops, said to my friend in that moment, I felt so helpless because all I could do was pray. Man, I, I, I get that, right? As a dad, I, I understand. But I think that that is a misunderstanding of what prayer is. To say that all I could do is talk to the creator of everything that exists. Right, if you had financial problems, and um, I had a friend who ran a, um, uh, what do you call it when you give out money? I just had the word in my head. Like, like a, a foundation that just helps people with, with financial problems. And I gave you that number. Would it make sense for you to go home and be like, you know, I told Chris that I was having financial problems and all he did was give me the number to somebody who could solve all my problems, right? Like if you're getting bullied at school, young people, and I said, hey, I know um, the rock, not Jesus, but like the other rock. And I, I can have him come follow you around at school. Would you be like, oh man, I was getting beat up and all he did was get like this gigantic guy to come protect me. No. So why do we say all I could do was pray? All I could do was talk to the creator of everything that exists, who loves me and gave his son's life for me. And we've got all these beautiful pictures coming out of NASA about the universe. That universe still fits in the palm of the creator's hand and we get to talk to that creator. So let's, let's not say all I can do is pray. You know, I, um, I think we need to 
to just understand the gift that God has given us in prayer, the power that he has given us um, in prayer. So here's, um, rather than talk about it anymore, let, let's pray that God will drive us to our knees to ask him for help, that we would have eyes to see the, the problems of the world and uh, that God would use us to, to make a difference. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for just everything that you have blessed us with. God, we are blessed in ways that we don't even know. You have saved us from trouble that we didn't see coming because we aren't you. And God, you have walked with us through the troubles that we do feel and the troubles that we do experience. You are faithful. You have never let us down. And God, I, I pray that as we, we cry out to you, that we can develop a deeper sense of trust. I pray that everybody in this room would, would have their eyes open to the problems of the world, to the ways that people around them need life in a world that is full of death. And God, I pray that you would give us a burden to spread the life that can only come from you. And God, I pray that, that we would come to you and that we would let go of our agenda, that we would let go of our ideas and that we would let you fill our hearts and our minds and our souls with your answers. God, I pray that, that we would stop knocking on other doors. God, if, if there's people here that, that need to stop knocking on those doors, I help them have the strength to stop. Give them people in their life that will, that will help them stop knocking on doors of death and help us to knock, God, only on the door that has answers. God, you are the answer. And we have access to you because you love us, not because of anything that we have done to create that. Thank you, God. Lord, I pray that we would not be content with just simple salvation. Lord, I pray that you would put in us a burden to see change, to see things around us transformed the way that only you can. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.